with my co-host Anthony Avatolo. Yo! Welcome to episode number seven of The Third Power, the Cube podcast. This, uh. For this week's episode, we're going to be talking about a strategy that, I don't know, I feel really passionate about. Like, it was the first article that I ever wrote was about this very strategy. On and I a, put it... I, I put it as part of my I put it as part of my interests and in daily activities, you know, in that dating website back in the day. <laughs> nice. It was, uh, Interests attacking for two. Nice. <laughs> this is a strat- This uh, article is about, or not article. Well, that article and this episode <laughs> is about aggressive strategies in Cube. We'll be talking about a bunch of various topics, but first we got to do the crack pack. We got to do it really quick because this episode is going to take a while. Yeah, we're gonna we got a lot to say about this. This is something that uh we've both done a lot of work with, uh really trying to make sure that aggressive decks are capable and possible and you know, functional in your cube and in our cube. So let's crack a pack first though. What do we got? All right. Pick number one, coalition relic. Coalition relic. Love me a coalition relic. Card number two, braids, cabal minion. Ooh, braids. We like braids too. Yeah. Uh, number three, Ring of Jix. I know you're not a fan of that card, but Ring of Jix. All right. Uh, number four, Blastoderm. Blastoderm. Uh, number five, Azorius Signet. Okay. Uh, six, Profane Command. That's profane. <laughs> uh, number seven, a Misdirection. The free, uh, like the Force of Will, where you redirect something. Number eight. Now nah, this is kind of makes this pack easy. Then Time Walk. Oh, okay. Obvious, obvious pick is obvious. Well, hold on. We got the rest of the pack. Hold yeah, on. Yeah, I know. Uh, Wrath of God. Ooh, see, I'll better find one. Yeah. Uh, Mystic Snake. Mystic Snake. Uh, Rolling Earthquake. Ooh. Uh, Jackal Pup. Ooh, Pap. Uh, Incinerate. Alright. Uh, Th- uh Thoughtseize. Thoughtseize. And Frost Titan. And Frosty. Yeah, I. Right. Yeah, that time walk was. That seems kind of ridiculous. Well, you know, I, I, I'd like to go there too, but let's just kind of talk about a little bit about about evaluating this pack. Um, if you're the kind of person, um, who really likes to push aggressive decks, since we're since that's our topic for today, I could see if time walk weren't in this pack. I could see just taking the Jackal Pop or the Incinerate. Yeah. To try to push that a little bit. Um, I could also see taking, I, I can see some validation in taking Braids if you like to play that archetype. I was about uh, to say, for an aggro strategy, I wouldn't mind first picking Braids. Like, just as kind of a curve stopper. Solid. Yeah, it's like, sure, uh, I'll be sacking junk. I'll be sacking my dudes while you're just, you can't ramp up and stabilize kind of thing. Exactly. Uh, Coalition Relic is one of my favorite rampy control-ish type cards as well. Yeah. Um, just so, such, such a great card. So awesome. Um, I, I don't feel like a whole lot of the other cards here don't, don't really have first book potential. Maybe roll, I mean, Rolling Earthquake's obviously very good as well. Yeah. Wrath but, is, Wrath is solid, but I'm, I'm not. Yeah. Like, and same thing with Wrath. I mean, both of those are, you know, sweepers. But man, just the time walk in this pack just, I almost have to just, I mean, it's splashable, yeah. it's cheap, it breaks the the rules of magic, I mean, it's just, it's just time walk for me. Yeah, like, I'm gonna put it, even in, even in an aggressive deck, I'm, I'm fine splashing for it, even as just yeah. an attack, or even, even as like an explorer, 
Like, I'm fine with that. Just get an extra attack in kind of thing. Yeah. But definitely, like... And maybe this kind of goes with the central theme of the episode. Like, Jackal Pup, like, you might look at Jackal Pup, and there's, like, the rest of the cards, like, oh, Frost Titan, uh, Mystic Snake, and you might think that Jackal Pup looks like it doesn't stack up or anything like that, and we'll talk about card evaluation and things like that for aggressive cards. But it's, it's kind of an interesting kind of microcosm to just, like, aggressive strategies. But if it weren't, I, I would say Time Walk is my pick. If it wasn't for that, I would say Braids. But unfortunately, and that's kind of the annoying thing about, like, doing a crack-a-pack from a, a powered cube, is sometimes you'll get the obvious pick as obvious. Sure, but, you know, even in my cube, I, I thought, you know, the, the pack we opened with Ravages of War was, was pretty slam dunk as well, so. Yeah. It definitely happens. That's true. I don't know why people pick the Cryptic, though. <laughs> it's just like, Ravage, that was the pack, right? Ravages, Cryptic, and everything else? Pretty much. Yeah, that confuses me. Got quite a, a few picks on Cryptic. Yeah. You know, that color, color, color spell in pack one. Yeah, that's just way too committal for me. I, I can't do that. That's, that's way yeah, too, too much mana symbols. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not ready for that kind of commitment in, in a relationship that early in the draft. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Cryptic uh, Command doesn't put a ring on it or something. <laughs> right, right. Okay. Exactly. This kind of came about from something that we saw on MTG Salvation. Uh, somebody, there was a thread about cube erratas, and it's it was kind of like with the thing, Anthony, that you have with Exalted Angel, where it has the keyword Exalted. Yeah, like, because I don't want to live in a world where Exalted Angel doesn't have Exalted. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Retro Retrofit that. I know, man. Exactly. Get this stuff up to date here. And somebody, there was kind of this this kind of like side conversation, and uh, Cranny from In Contention had a point. Like they were talking, like somebody uh, made all the the double white uh, knight creatures, you know, like. Uh, white knight, silver knight, whatever, that they all have horsemanship because they're all knights. Only if they're riding horses in pictures, in the picture, I believe. I'm oh, not sure if, oh, wow, I thought that was I, automatic. I, I don't know if it was all of them or not, but I thought it was the ones that were riding horses in the pictures. What about Meadow Green? Isn't it riding like a goat or something? I mean, sure, uh, goatmanship. Goatmanship, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can only be blocked by the creatures with goatmanship. Right. can only be blocked by Springjack Pasture tokens. Yeah, exactly, or, or uh, changelings. But somebody brought up the point, like he was saying, like, I haven't seen White Weenie be aggressive. You know, aggressive strategies, you know, they need, you know, I don't really see them really as very well supported in many cubes. And uh, Cranny from In Contention said something along the lines of, he's like saying, you know, I haven't drafted really a, uh, there was a, there's a term they used on that podcast uh, called a, a quote unquote a dragon cube. Which essentially just means it's all about the big dudes. You know, there's no real aggro support, and you just play dragons. It's like an episode of Dragon Ball Z where it's just like, oh, I'll summon my dragon, you know, charge up. And then the other guy just responds. It's like, well, here's my dragon. And I remember you used the term uh, haymaker, haymaker cube. Yeah. And that sounds right. Haymaker cube. Because basically just you throw a haymaker, and then they respond with a haymaker. And then you throw a haymaker, and then they respond with a haymaker, and then you're like, land go. And if they throw yeah. another haymaker, you're probably dead. It's kind of like you said with a uh, Momir basic, where you're, you're essentially throwing down haymakers, and then whoever gets like the scornful egoist just dies. It's like, oh, nice one, one. Yeah. I'm going to kill you now. Cog- Cognivore or scornful egotist or whatever oh. they are, you're just dead yeah. because you don't because you miss your haymaker. Yeah, that's just the worst. But like that term for like a dragon cube, like Cranny was saying, like the memo is kind of out already. 
on the fact that, you know, ag- cubes need aggro support and, you know, that he hasn't drafted a dragon cube in forever. And the thing is, the memo may have been out, but it was internally distributed. It didn't get outside the company. No, it was an, yeah, it was definitely an inner office memo. Um, there are still plenty of people's cubes who have, you know, the, the first cards that they add and, and, you know, their, their cubes are more Wrath of God than they are Jackal Pup. Yeah, precisely. And this kind of gets me on, uh, soapbox number one, this for the drinking game, everybody, the Usman drinking game, every time I get on a soapbox, take a shot, here's shot number one. All every right. time he takes longer than ten minutes to explain something, take a shot. Oh my god, people are gonna die. We we can't have alcohol poisoning on this show. <laughs> I'm, we don't want to be responsible for death. All right, soapbox number one. You know, one of my favorite places to play Magic in St. Louis is this place called Ogre's Games, and you know, like the people there are pretty awesome. And for a while, they had a cube you know, like me, and I can't actually take mostly credit. Most we developed me and a friend. His name is Charles. Awesome guy. You know, really in the wavelength, and he developed a cube for the store, and you know, and then I kind of just looked over it and maybe made a few changes. But we made a store cube, and I told I really hadn't heard much about cube night happening, but before they would have it on every Tuesday after uh, their standard tournament. So I'm like, and this cube is owned by the store, so if you were to go to Ogre Games and want the cube, the store actually has it there for use. Yeah, is that the yeah, way it works? It's totally, okay. it's it's all theirs, and it's all English. There's no cool. uh, foreigns. There's no uh, textless. We want to make it sure that everybody who, you know, if they see a braids and it's in Japanese, or you know, that would that would suck because it would be like, uh, what's what's this? And we want to make it accessible. Unless they for speak everybody. Japanese, obviously. Yeah, or like my uh, my Hindi version of Chandra. You know, hey, everybody speaks Hindi. Everybody speaks. Everybody sees my Library of Alexandria speaks Arabic. I mean, I don't even speak Arabic. <laughs> but yeah, they they drafted the store's cube. You know, there was a bunch of people who came out for it, and they drafted the store's cube. And somebody, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be blunt. The guy just got, from my understanding, got butt hurt because he he wanted to go into a drafting five color control, wanted to force that strategy. You know, first pick signet, the the robo drafting, the algorithmic. You're just like, is this a dual land? No. Is this a fetch or is this a fetch land? If yes, take it. If not, next step. If it's a dual land or a signet or whatever, or just algorithmically drafting. And he couldn't do that, and he just got he just got demolished. And so he was really butthurt about it, and he was like, well, the aggro is too good. Like, you have Jackal Pup, and this card sucks because you take damage. And uh-huh. and I, I just, you know, I got on my soapbox there, too. I'm just like, this is, you know, that's makes no sense. Like, what happens most of the time in most cubes, in most of these dragon cubes, is they don't have the explicit support. And you need to give cubes their uh, explicit support. You know, an example... That's probably terrible, but I'm gonna use it anyway. It's like those uh, '80s movies. Like if you guys have seen the episode of South Park where they're on the uh, on the uh, they go to Aspen or whatever, and there's like that ski thing. But essentially, where there's you know the plucky underdog, and there's like some rich snobby kids, and they have to have like a, a showdown or whatever, and there's like a montage with terrible music by like Survivor or something. But essentially. Aggro decks in most cubes are the underdog. They do not have the support. It's like some terrible kid bringing in like a homebrew deck, and it's like, oh, this kid's gonna try to do something, and even then, it's not gonna work, kind of thing. Where there's just no support, and it just sucks. And there was another example where somebody 
you know, I looked at somebody's cube. It was the first one I really drafted and, you know, recommended some changes. And I was just like, is, has ever, has aggro ever really been drafted in here and won? Because there was a bunch of just mid-range, just five-mana inefficient cards, do nothing, do nothing. And he was like, yeah, aggro's good. You know, he and his friend were t- saying, like, yeah, somebody drafted red-green beats and won once. That's back the- in this day. Yeah, back in the back day. Back when like, uh, we took bicycles to the game shop. Yeah, it's like was, the, uh, uh, the old grizzled veteran on his back porch with a banjo in his overalls talking, oh, I remember back in 72... Agro, somebody somebody rolled into town and played a Kurt Ape. It's like, no, that does, you don't, this is going to be terrible. Like, you don't want your aggro decks to be just once in a while. That's going to be me in about five years, by the way. Back in my day. <laughs> back Come in on, my day. Get off my lawn. Back in my day, nobody liked Stoneforge Mystic. Now it's 20 bucks. Now it's $20. And I told them. I told <laughs> as many people as I could, but nobody listened. <laughs> Stupid kids. But, yeah. Stupid kids. Get off my Witcher. Control cards. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just going to go on a little more on this soapbox, and I'll shut up. But it was <laughs> like a friend had a commons cube, and it was the same thing, where we drafted a few times, and aggro was not supported. And I went to this on my article that I did on aggro, but I just remember drafting green-white aggro and just getting capsize locked because there was no support. You know, I tried doing what I could, but it just couldn't get there. And not just because I built it bad, because if I built it badly, I'd take full credit. But I built it fine. But the deck didn't have the support, and it just died. And I just turned to him, because we were at, like, a Denny's, Ryan Spain's favorite restaurant. And I turned to him and said, has Agro ever won in this at all? And I forget why. He tried justifying it. He was just Wait, like, what, no. what, what, what did he say? I don't remember. He just he, – I think he tried justifying it, but he did a really bad job. He needed a – Like, yes, it does win. Yeah. Or no, yeah, it some, doesn't. Because no, we don't no, like he, it. Or, like – no, he tried defending it. He tried saying that it won. He tried saying, oh. yeah, it's it's fine. You know, just kind of like the guy who said, I, somebody drafted Red Green Beats one, once. And that's the thing is, you don't want your cube to have no aggro support. But on the other hand, we aren't just, you know, we're talking about supporting aggro in cubes. But we aren't talking about making a quote-unquote aggro-themed cube, because that would be terrible. Like Zendikar, for example. I don't know anybody who liked drafting Zendikar, because aggro was the only game in town. Like if you didn't yeah, if you didn't make your land so drops, you, Nighthawk being windmill slam, like being the best card in the set because it was so aggro focused. And if you stuttered on land drops, you were dead. And yeah. again, you don't want your cube to be like that either. It's all about balance, and you don't want aggro to be the only game in town. But in most cubes, control is the only game in town. And right. you know, if you're it's all use... mid range and right, it's all what happens is is you know the the mid range decks that people kind of you know good old rock, nothing beats rock. Those yeah. kind of decks that, that drafters sometimes gravitate towards. And then the control decks just eat those decks alive. Um, and, you know, they're, the aggro doesn't really have that much of a shot at it because what happens is the aggro decks aren't very good or aren't very focused, so they can't beat the control decks either. Yeah. That's the issue. And it's, it's kind of like, uh, I don't know if you all remember, I know, Anthony, you remember, because you're, you're, you're OG back in the day. Okay. But, like, if you all remember uh, Carlos Romau, when he won, uh, I think it was 2002 Worlds, like, he was able to win, like, it was essentially, uh, it was it like, uh, on Odyssey, was it Odyssey Block or Odyssey Standard? I believe it was, I, I'm pretty sure it was Standard, but it was basically the whole format revolved around Psychotog, to give yeah, you guys an psych- idea of what's going on. Yeah, Psychotog, Upheaval, you know, that combo deck, essentially control decks built around that, 
And uh, Carlos Romao, who ended up winning Worlds, he ended up winning because during testing he figured out, he and his team figured out that the only spells that really mattered in that match were Psychotog and Upheaval. Everything else you could just yeah. ignore. Like, you want to play Deep Analysis? Whatever. You want to play... Back uh, Fiction? Yeah, whatever. Have all the spells you want. Who cares? But the fact is that those... You can focus on those spells really easily. And the, like, the five-color control decks, you know, the algorithmically ones you could just have no brain and draft it. Or maybe a little bit of... You could be a robot and draft it. Those decks can very easily deal with the pinpoint threats in things like unfocused aggro decks or the mid-range decks because they can just focus on what matters. And and blue decks, especially, since they can just counter it. And if you don't support aggro, that becomes the format. It becomes very un, very lopsided, very boring, and I think it's very suboptimal. Like, it's not... Well, let's no, be honest. Blue Blue's good enough as it is. It doesn't need any additional help to be the best color in Magic. So you need to do what you can to try to give, to kind of take the power back a little bit for the other four colors, for sure. Um, you can, you know, throughout the course of, you know, the history of Magic, the best decks have always been blue. Blue decks are typically control decks. So naturally, control decks are going to be very strong in a format, in a limited-esque format like we have here that's kind of halfway between limited and constructed. Because all the best blue cards are, con- you know, for the most part, control cards. So when you have the best color and what they do best, that is typically the best throughout the whole course of Magic, you have to do, you have to, you have to work pretty hard at making sure that the other colors can combat that. That you know, this this history of Magic doesn't happen all the time in your cube as well. Yeah, like there's kind of a common, like a recurring joke, like in some cubes where they don't support aggro. Like red, nobody plays red at all. It's just a joke. You just go, oh, nice, uh, nice jackal pup, whatever. And it's kind of the thing I went on in my SWAT is that you have to basically support the strengths of each color. And you know we'll probably get more into that later. But you know if you well, if, yeah, red, absolutely. Do you want to you want to talk a little bit about uh, what makes for a good aggressive card? Like what kind of cards you need in order to support this kind of strategy? Yeah, for sure. I think. Like, and I think that's an example, like, when my friend had the commons cube, and he had the, he, I think it was a draft or so afterwards, he tried justifying the fact that aggro was playable, and he had the two-mana pinger, the root water hunter, whatever it was called, and then no one-drops, obviously, played Mm -hmm. that as the two-drop, it played uh, Razorfin Hunter as the two-drop, and then uh, the 2-2 Bushido with haste, and it was like, see, aggro's fine. And the thing is, that's not really aggro. Those aren't really aggro cards. Sec- I mean, that's just not- a curving draw or whatever. Yeah, like mising into your two drop and your three drop is not an, does not an aggro deck make. Like nope. it does not have any of those classical aggro cards that you know we're going to talk about. Like one of the big ones, and the reason I use Jackal Pup is a great example, is because it's has more power. You know, the the power to mana ratio is higher than one to one. Like you you get two power essentially for one mana. Yep. And of course, obviously, you want, you know, a non-crippling drawback. You know, like we said, it's it's not, if you evaluate everything as black and white, you're just going to lose out. And obviously not every two-power creature for one mana is going to be cube-worthy. Like, a, a Cursed Centaur, which is one black mana for 2-2, two, two, and you have to sacrifice a creature, that's terrible. Like, you, that's just <laughs> horrible. You don't you don't play that in Commons Cube, you don't play that in anything, because it's just a terrible card. 
terrible aggro card especially. But you want to get a lot of bang for your buck from your creatures. For the most part, you want them to cost four or less mana. Like, uh, Mirren Crusader, ridiculous in aggro. Like, essentially four power for three mana. Wears equipment like a champ. Kind of yep. things like that. Like Double protection. Yeah, and double protection BTW. So good. But yeah, you want your creatures to essentially be very efficient beaters. Because that's the strategy. That's how aggro strategies work. You want to get the critical mass of creatures in the early parts of the game to deal as much damage as possible and then just overwhelm them with whatever kind of reach elements. Well, exactly. Like that's, and that's the thing too is, you know, the, the mid range, uh, the mid range and control decks want the games to last to turn five, to turn six, to turn seven and beyond. And while aggressive decks, you know, will have games a lot that will last until turns five, six or seven, you need to get them at a precarious enough position that one mistake, one chink in the armor, is what's going to be able to win you the game. And the way to do that is within those first four turns or so. So if you have a bunch of spells that are four mana, five mana, six mana, and by a bunch, I mean a handful, three or four of them, you know, I'm okay with an aggressive deck having Aurorix, you know, at the top of the curve. Aurorix is pretty ideal, you know, between having evasion, having haste. But, you know, I'm fine with, you know, a mostly aggressive deck having a curve topper like that. A Rorix, maybe an Inferno Titan, a Banefire, you know what I mean? Something like that that can push through the last little bit uh, through a stalled ground or through counter spells or, you know, something to sink your mana into. Um, I'm okay with that, but it's when, you know, when that aggressive, quote-unquote, aggressive deck has Rorix and Inferno Titan and Duplicant and Sundering Titan and a couple of five drops and things like that. We know now you're looking more at a at a mid-range type strategy um, because it's really, with all those expensive cards, it makes it really hard to get all the work that you need to get done in the first four turns or so. I mean, granted, a deck with those cards might very well do very well and could be a red deck, but that doesn't make it an aggressive deck. It makes it kind of a, a you know, mid-rangey aggressive deck that, you hope that you have some early draw. But, you know, i got to tell you, if you open that opening hand and you have a bunch of fives and sixes in it, you're probably not winning that game. You need to get that work done in those first few turns. Yeah, it's just so awkward. Well, it's just, it's essentially a mull. you got to mull that hand. Yeah, and, an you know, you, you definitely, you know, if you look at, you, you mentioned earlier the converted mana cost to power. So, obviously, two power creatures for one, there's a lot, you know, not I shouldn't say a lot, but there's, they're, they're significantly represented at two mana, you know, a card like Plated Geopede, which most of the time is attacking for three. So there's your, you know, your three power for two. You know, when you get to three mana, you're looking at cards like, and this is a card that a lot of people, I think, undervalue it and really need to be playing, uh, Countryside Crusher. Um, oh, yeah. Three, three mana for a three, three. Most likely by the first attack, you know, good chance it's going to be bigger than that. Um you know, cards like that that are that are generating those things. And when you get to four mana, three and four mana, they need to have big, big effects if, you know, if you want them to be good. You know, I'm not playing, you know, th- three power guys for four mana. I'm trying to blow up all the lands for four mana, you know. Yeah. At that point, at that point, you should be considering how do I win the game? You know, or at least how do I end the game, not how am I trying to overcome, the, you know, trying to get... Like, I think Flores, when he was talking about the phases of the game, 
like phase one was kind of the early game, phase two is mid, you know, the mid stage, and game three was mm-hmm. or phase two is end game. Like aggro decks really want to get most of their stuff done in phase one, and then when phase two happens, it's like, oh, phase two starting kill you, right? Kill you with yeah, whatever. We need, to, we need to figure out how to get this get this over with, you know. Which is why I'm actually fine with you know having maybe uh, a very light sprinkling of higher mana cards to give you something that if for some reason they have a, a way to deal with your early drops or they stabilize a too high of a life total that you do have a couple of, you know, maybe one or two trumps over that. But to be honest, I, I'd still almost rather have all one twos and threes instead of having to play a six. That's just me. Yeah. Cause that's a lot of, and we might get into this later about a, uh, you know, misevaluation, which I find a lot of people do with uh, aggressive cards in cube. But, you know, just being able, because the deck pretty much thrives on redundancy. You know, you, you of course your knight is going to not be the greatest on turn seven. That's not your goal. You want the game to end before then. Right, or, you know, by then, to the point where that, you know, that 2-2 two, two either is, is, is an enormous threat or, or whatever it is. And you talked about redundancy. Yeah, I mean, for example, if, if you guys out there have ever drafted the mono-red or the red-white aggressive strategy... I mean, you want just as many one-drops as possible. And, you know, yes, you can't play, you know, multiple of the one-drop, but, you know, but you can have a deck that has Isamaru and Mod Fanatic and Figure of Destiny and uh, Tattermunge Maniac. You know, you, you want the draws to be super consistent and pretty much play out the same way. And it takes some, it takes some getting used to, and it takes some work to be able to do that in a singleton format like the Cube. Well, you definitely want, um, not only do you need to draft those cards, but you need to make sure you include them in the cube as well, which is what we'll get to here in a little bit, uh, talking about how many aggressive cards, what kind of aggressive cards you should be playing. Um, let's mention a couple non-obvious aggressive cards. Uh, yeah. For example, like, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> like, definitely some non-obvious examples, like, you know, a lot of the burn decks, you know, just like Lightning Bolt, Burst Lightning, Rift Bolt, Incinerate, whatever, those are pretty obvious. But, yeah, those are, I mean, maybe those aren't, maybe those are not obvious. I don't right, know, but, but, but you know, if we're, if we're talking about, well, we just talked about aggressive cards, and to me, the first thing that comes to mind as aggressive card is a creature, because those are the things that keep up, you know, that keep up the pressure. Those are the kinds of things that your deck needs to function. But burn spells, I mean... They're, they're not needed necessarily. You can have an aggressive deck without them. So maybe they yeah, are can have like exactly white. obvious. But the thing about it is, I think it's important that they are the non-expel variety for the most part. Because yeah, and those, I think, th- go ahead. I think this might, this might be a topic. You keep talk, we keep talking about these things we're going to get into in the future, but like, I think a common mistake, you know, kind of foreshadowing in terms of a misevaluation is that People tend to overestimate the X spells because of, uh, you know, limited. Like, I'm going to Windmill Slam Blaze in almost any draft. Like, Red sure. Sun Zenith, Windmill Slam, uh, yeah, Blaze, Demon Fire, whatever. I'm going to Windmill Slam those in every draft, in every regular draft. Right. Not necessarily correct. cube. And one of the things I talked about in my, in my SWOT analysis for Red was that there's a big temptation to, you know, people might try to put every X spell in the game in their cube because of the, you know, misevaluating the context. But the thing is that aggressive decks don't really care that much about the X spells. It's like, why, why would I care about 
paying why do I want Banefire and Demonfire and Starstorm? Like why why do I need all of this? Right. Like, those those having a glut of those doesn't accurately represent the aggressive themes inherent in red. Well, and the other thing big... too is that it doesn't really follow the whole uh, converted mana cost to power ratio. Even though we use that to describe uh, creatures, I think it can yeah. be used to describe spells as well. I mean, in you know, talking about philosophy of fire type things, um, I spend one mana for lightning bolt and I get three damage. I spend one mana for burst lightning and get two. I spend two mana for arc or for uh, arc trail. Arc trail, thank you. And I get three damage to distribute. All of those are ahead of the curve. I spend three mana for char and get four damage. But burn spells will always be the X spells will always be one behind the curve. Mm-hmm. You're going to spend two mana to do one damage, three mana for two damage. So they don't really fit so much. Like I said, philosophy of fire type esque thing where you want each of your cards to be, you know, worth a certain amount of life. But like I said, I think there is some use, especially in uh, Banefire, you know, the uncounterable one that, you know, as an end game when, oh man, I got my opponent pretty low, but I can't finish him off here, you know, and it's like, oh, Banefire you for six. Good game. <laughs> but I yeah. like jamming as many of those into your aggro deck. I don't think that's, that's not what you want to be doing. That's not what you want. Precisely. Like, I think they have a place, for sure. And if, you know, someone's going to use a bad argument to say, oh, what are you saying, we should take out all the X spells? No. Oh. Like, if you if you, want, if you think I'm going to get on a soapbox about somebody getting butthurt, you, jeez, you, I'll get on a super soapbox and I'll have to take another shot. But, well, yeah, it's, you, those spells are useful, yes. Like, yeah, Demon Fire, uh, uh, Demon Fire, Fire, yeah, the Fireball, uh, whatever, all those spells have have a use. Yeah, no doubt. Like, Wrath. Wrath, you know, obviously Wrath is ridiculous, and you should use it in every cube. But you you want your section to essentially represent your cube. Like, if you're going to uh, you know, put a ton of these in, aggro is going to have a harder time thriving. Well, I mean, you can play them. You just can't play them. And the other thing, too, is you just can't play them necessarily in your aggressive decks all the time. Yeah, you know? for sure. I, I'm not playing, you know, I'm not playing Starstorm in my aggressive deck, like, I will oh, yeah. kill all my creatures. Woo! That was fun. Or like rolling earthquake in your aggro decks. Like no, I'm yeah, I'm not I'm not a fan of this. Yeah, like I mean I guess you could, but you know just as a as a finisher, like I said, but ugh, yes, I don't. Uh, it uh, completely unnecessary. I, I yeah. think another another maybe less obvious aggro card since we're talking about non-creature type things. You guys out there, you need to include enough mana disruption type cards. Um, and when I mean mana disruption, I mean anything that has to deal with, well, disrupting their mana. Things like Rashadden Port, um, Winter Orb, Winter Orb. Uh, the Armageddon-type cards. Not necessarily Wildfire, because it's going to be killing your creatures, um, but you know, basically ways to stall their mana while you're getting ahead. Um, some people like to use lots of uh, the Avalanche Riders, uh, Sinkhole, um, Molten Things rain. like uh, Cataclysm, if if you guys need to look that one up, if you you know is an unbelievable aggressive card. Uh, even things like you know a, earlier in our Kraken pack, we talked about braids, uh, cards with those type of effects, braids and smokestack. And imagine those games where you have lands and creatures, but they just have lands and spells in hand. If you're if you each have to sacrifice a permanent each turn, 
you're just obviously going to keep your creatures and keep the pressure while they're never going to be able to get to their more expensive spells to stabilize. Even something like Mana Tithe is perfect in an aggressive, in an aggressive deck because, you know, they finally tap out to make their big move to catch up and you're like, no, sir. You know, <laughs> those, those are the kinds of cards, you know, you need some disruption. You can't just, you know, in every single game, throw them out there and, well, I hope all these two power guys are good. You know, I hope this works. You have to interact with your opponent a little bit too and, and try to keep them down. So those kind of cards you really do need in the cube as well. Um, I didn't mention the obvious ones, things like strip mine, wasteland. Um, not that getting isn't obvious, but I think you need to think of those group of cards as aggressive cards as well. And you need to include them as much as, you know, your group may not like them. You know, I know that the, the Timmy group doesn't like to have their lands blown up or, I mean, heck, look at, you know, look at how Unreal Band braids is in EDH. You know, oh, I mean? yeah. it's against the spirit of the game, you know, like, well, at least for me, the spirit of the game is to build, you know, tight little, tight little deck numbers and have them, you know, battle it out and see which one's the best, not to do the coolest thing. So. Yeah. That's just that's just my opinion. I mean, I like doing cool things too. Don't get me wrong, but I'm not going to exclude cards like Braids and Smokestack that other people might not like because you know, frankly, you need them in there to to help keep to help keep those other decks off balance as as aggressive tools. Yeah, it's it's a. I remember you know hearing arguments where people would say, well, they they're not fair. Like they they aren't you know it's it's not fair it's not uh they're too good or whatever I blew and up I all my own lands too it's perfectly fair yeah and <laughs> even then like yeah like sometimes I just don't see cards like braids being used because of misevaluation like oh I have to sacrifice my own lands what's what's your curve topping out again four like I'll sacrifice my land play another one whatever necrotal go right I mean or you know you you build around it hey here is a bitter blossom funny. I get a permanent every turn with this. Hmm. Yeah, or blood gas. If I can make these two work together somehow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hmm. I'm scratching my chin right now. Hmm. How can I? Yeah. How can I make this thing that generates tokens and make my opponent? Yeah, you guys get the point. <laughs> we might stack the trigger. I mean, I might stack the trigger. The triggers wrong and just mess up. That's probably me though. No. Did you stack the triggers like from Winnie the Pooh? Yep. Boing, boing. <laughs> All right. I don't remember I don't that time. Uh, yeah. But uh, honestly, I think a, a big part of why uh, mana disruption is really good in aggressive strategies is because of the whole, you know, phase one, phase two thing. You're essentially keeping them out of those later stages of the game. Like, you know, some control player might be like, oh, I'll just take ten and I'll stabilize. Yeah, guess what? M- uh, molten rain your land. Try to stabilize now. You know, you... And, and yeah, they might, again, be OMG, they might be less good on turn seven. So? Right. That's, that's not really a good argument. Like, but you need main... lots of them to make sure that you're casting them on turn one through four. Yeah. Like, you, we're not saying to make an, like, LD dot deck, you know, like, you know, the, like the Ponza decks or the red green based land destruction decks, but they're very nice to, you know, keep your opponent off balance. It's kind of like throwing sand in their face. During a fight, it's, they, you know, they're all blind and whatever, and just punch them in the gut. It's like, oh, pff, here we go. It's like Mr. I mean, Fuji be... back in the old WWF. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, some... that you trick. The, well, also too, you get to trick the uh, the control players into things. You know, a typical a, a typical play interaction would be on turn three, you know, or whatever it might be. You cast 
or, you know, some turn three or turn four, some pre-Wrath of God turn, um, they make a decision not to kill one of your guys with a spot removal spell or not to counter one of your new threats. Let's say on turn, your turn four on the play, you played another two drop and they have a counter spell in hand. They were like, well, you know, I'm not going to counter that because I just have this Wrath of God in hand. And then post combat, you play a Rashad and Port, Rashad and Port pass and then keep them off of four mana for an additional turn. And that other two drop winds up helping to kill them. That's a very well, typical example. Well, it's kind of like the, uh, again, it's, it's useful to use other decks as kind of to learn lessons from. And it's cause I know you, you really like playing the, uh, the goblins deck in Legacy. Yep. Had some success it kind with it for sure. Yeah. It's like, uh, you know, you, it's, it, it's not a land destruction deck, but it uses land destruction elements like Wasteland and Rishadon Port to disrupt your opponent. You know, exactly. to go like lackey and then just like disrupt their mana base and you're keeping them off kilter. You know, just like, oh, here's some sand in your face. Oh, here's this deal deal with this and constantly applying pressure while you're doing that and that's the main thing like if you're just going turn one strip mine strip your land and that's or you're not applying pressure while you're applying disruption that's not really doing anything and again that's more about you know just making sure the complete package is there like turn one uh turn one goblin guide or whatever turn one dude turn two strip mine you know whatever just keeping them off kilter and then keeping the pressure going. And yep. that is how man disruption is really good. Also, you know, just like ravenous baboons, it's, you know, I, I know you're not a huge fan of that card, but I mean, the, you know, the, the purpose is, you know, still useful. It's a, well, no, well, I mean, exactly. It's a very similar, it's exactly the type of thing we're talking about. I just don't happen to think it's a good enough mana disruption element, but that's the kind of card we're talking about for sure. I mean, like, that's why yeah. I mentioned avalanche riders or, you know, goblin ruin blaster, you know, things like, Things like that. Yeah. And it's even nice, like, if your opponent has a Maze of Ith, it's even better. But yeah, you get to that's port a... their Maze pre-combat. Oh, wow. Yeah, GG, sir. But, I mean, it's it's gravy if you get that. Like, if you sure. if you destroy their Bounce Land, that's really nice. But the main reason you want to play is those kind of cards in your aggressive decks is to keep your opponent disrupted. Bad pun right. intended. Exactly. And All right. do you want to talk about the last kind of card, last kind of maybe... You know, non-creature type of aggro support card? Yeah, the last card, the last uh, one I can really think of, or that you actually did, and I'm just reading it, is uh, what's commonly referred to as pants. Like equipments. Yeah, pants pants on the ground. (laughs) A terrible song, but yeah. Like, uh, equipment is the big one. Like, uh, a lot of the good equipment is very great in aggressive decks. Like, uh, Bone Splitter is probably... The best example that I can think of is a purely aggressive equipment. Like, you wouldn't want to use it in your mid-range or control deck. That just seems bad. Yeah, I could see maybe playing it in, like, a Bitter Blossom deck if yeah. you're a, a mid-range deck just because you want to turn up the clock. But even then, you can still probably find cards that are better. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, stuff like that. Uh, a lot of the other cards are pretty universally playable. All the the sort of X and Y, almost all of them are just use it in anything that has, like, a creature. Or something yeah. like that. You know, maybe not eight creature, maybe like a handful, like five even. Yeah, the the double like bag, a, the double bag swords, basically. Yeah, or like another example, I think is a really good example. That I think people tend to underestimate is Grafted War Gear. That card's unreal in aggressive decks. Yeah, turn two knight, turn three War Gear, take five, and keep going. Like I think that maybe a card where people, I know I personally, and I honestly don't mind, like. You know, if I mess up in terms of card evaluation, I think that's one of the best ways to improve 
sure. in just as a player and for designing cube is to own up to your mistakes. And for example, I didn't include Grafted Warrior for a long time because I was like, well, they could just kill it and you'll two for one. And this isn't a straw man argument. This is honestly what I thought. Like I thought, oh, it'll die and they two for one me and that sucks. I'm trying to think of the amount of times that's happened. One, <laughs> one yeah. time, yeah, one time dealer, one time. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that does it's not just, happen. It's a card that I actually completely spaced on for a while too, uh, until uh, I was flipping through somebody's. I, I think I think I was flipping through somebody's trade binder and I saw a foil one, and then the light Ooh, went off. Yeah, I'm it like, looks nice as foil. Why am I not playing this card? This card is unreal. Like plus three, like three mana initial investment, zero to equip. Like who cares that I have you know can't move it around. I don't, yeah. you know, a lot of time equipment is moved around to play both offense and defense. Like as an aggressive card, I don't need to really play defense. It's all about mm-hmm. the O, baby. And if they, uh, even if they deal with it, let's say, you know, they faith fetters my creature for some reason instead of the artifact. Um, you know, something like anyway. that. If they're if they're dying to the creature or whatever, then like it's useless anyway. Or if they pacify your creature, for example. It's useless anyway, so who cares if you lose it? Then you just move the equipment somewhere else, you know? Yeah. And it turns a very small threat, you know, all these cards that people like to say, well, I don't want to draw my Jackal Pop on turn eight. Well, you know, your your 2-1 is now a 5-4. You're a 5, you know. 5-3, but yeah. 5-3, like, that's a big deal. Yeah, nice dragon you got there, buddy. Yeah, like, nice nice one-mana dragon. Jesus. So, you know, and and cards, you know, of course, like the uh, Griffin Guide or Elephant Guide, you know, back when equipment used to be called local enchantments, or, you know, I guess, you know, auras now, um, those are kind of cards, too, that that you can definitely put in to help support your aggro. The guides I mentioned specifically because you get, you know, payoff immediately, and you also get you know, are able to continue the pressure if they die. Yeah, like, I think the best, the the ones I really consider for any cube are the ones that get around the two-for-one, like, uh, yeah, like, Rancor, the Guides, and, like, Shades form in commons cubes. Like, it's essentially one and two black, and it gives any creature the shade ability, and when the creature dies, it comes back on your side. Yeah. Which it gets around Rancor. the whole two-for-one <laughs> thing. Well, I mean, it's it the creature comes back on your side. Oh. Like, if, even if so it's, it's like on your opponent's em, creature. Squeeze Embrace. I right? think. Uh, I don't know. Like you False Demise. The enchantment dies, but the creature comes back. Uh, honestly, I don't remember. And I think I run Squeeze Embrace in my Commons Cube, which is really yeah, sad em- that I don't know how it works. Squeeze Embrace is sick. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. But yeah, essentially, uh, the the good pants or on auras gets around the whole uh, yeah, it's two plus for one two. thing. But yeah, plus two. It's a red, you know, Boros mana. Uh, creature gets plus two, plus two, and when you bend the creature, it goes back to your hand. The creature yeah. goes back to your hand, the enchantment dies. But yeah, it's like yeah. perfectly re- another perfectly reasonable pants-type card to mention. Yep. Yeah, and I think another other kind of, like, uh, other ones, I, again, I don't know how obvious these are, but stuff that has kind of, uh, you know, just like blood gas, I'm not really sure where I would categorize that, to be honest, but... Uh, stuff like maybe the knights, a lot of people seem to not like those. Like, I recommended, I did kind of a uh, huge recommendation to somebody's cube, and he's like, I don't want to use the knights, they're just grizzly bears. And I just was like, oh, man, really? Well, they That's also have first argument. strike, a lot of them have protection. Yeah. That's, I mean, so, they, have, you know. they have great abilities on top of that, like, uh, yeah, like meadow grain, stuff like that, um, uh, white orchid, you know, stuff like that, where they have 
solid, you know, their mana to power is equal, and then they have nice abilities to push it over kind of thing. Right. And I right, think those exactly. are really nice. Because, you know, as we all know, Grizzly Bears is, you know, hey, but that's one for one power to mana. But you know what? There's a lot more impressive cards for a cube than, you know, two mana, two twos that are stone blank. So. Yeah, precisely. Like, I want a couple abilities, like Lifelink and First Strike. Right. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's, let's keep going here. Let's talk a little bit about, um, doing aggro. Like, you know, basically, I, I went through my cube and Usman, I think you did the same. And we kind of separated out, um, the cards that are basically aggro cards, the cards that are control only cards, and then what we're calling universal cards that can be used in, uh, aggro control, mid range, you know, uh, Agro control, you know, all those type of different things. Notice that we're not really separating out the mid-range cards because for the most part, the mid-range decks are made up of the most expensive aggro cards and the cheapest control cards. <laughs> and like everything universal, like they're just like Universal Studios pretty much. Universal Soldier. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And this is, it's a concept I kind of, uh, kind of brushed on when I did my article, and I think somebody kind of riffed with it. But essentially, uh, you you have you know cards like Jackal Pup. You're not going to play in your control decks. They're just ag- aggressive, and universally playable ones would be like Planeswalkers. Once you fit in any uh, you know any deck, like I'm just looking through the crack pack, like uh, Th- Thoughtseize, Universal, Incinerate, Universal, uh, Profane Command, maybe. But you know stuff like that where. I mean, and Time Walk is pretty universal oh God, also. Yeah, universal, yeah, you play that in anything that can play blue mana. But one Coalition of the Relic, not so much. I mean, it, it, you're not going to really play Coalition Relic in aggressive decks. You're not precisely. playing Frost Titan in no. aggressive decks. You know, and even though Incinerate can see play across all the, the theaters, you know, you definitely can, can build that in as a spot removal spell. I still kind of consider that mostly an aggressive card, not completely but mostly because it does give you, you know, it does have that reach element. Unlike something like, let's say, Go for the Throat, which, yeah. while being, you know, yeah, the, it can be, you know, it can be used by all the different decks, but it doesn't really give you reach that an aggressive card is going to want to do. It's not, you know, destroy target creature, it's controller takes two damage, you know. Yeah. That would be insane, obviously, but, it, you know, that's the kind of, that's the reason why I don't consider why I consider one to be an aggressive card while the other one I don't. I think Incinerate might be kind of like a Johnny Goldmane, where a, a Johnny Goldmane I could fit... I, I kind of loosely consider it universal, but I'm much happier playing in aggressive decks than control decks. Like, control decks... Oh, yeah, control decks. I mean, it's fine. It's better in mid-range, I think, than in control decks. Like, Yeah. I mean, what are you going to do with it? Like, if you don't have creatures, you're not you're not neg-wanting it. And just, no. like... No. Gain two, spending four mana to gain two life or whatever it is, like that's not necessarily very impressive either. So I think it definitely it's, needs to be in creature strategies. For sure. But even, even then, I'm not... Protected or to, you know, pump your guys. I'm not necessarily ashamed to put it in my final 40 in, like, a, in a control deck, though. I mean, uh, you know, like, White Honden isn't, like, busting down the door or anything, but it's not... I don't know. It's not horrible. Yeah, but, but I can't the, attack White Honden and get it off the, get it off the board either. Exactly, yeah. But essentially, the the crux of this is that uh, you want, you know, your ratio in terms of when I separated my cube, I don't have the numbers because, you know, I, I'm going to shuffle my cube up for the crack of packs. But you what guess. you want is for you to have a your universe. You're going to have a ton of universal cards because they go in everything, and then you're going to have a smaller stack for aggressive cards, 
but and then a smaller stack for control cards. And that's what the balance should be. There should be more aggressive cards, aggressive only cards, than control cards. Now we're going to run through some examples from Mirrodin Besiege, you know, just to you know keep it on top, you know, keep it topical, things like that. And you 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 isolated those. So let's you want to riff on those. Well, yeah, you know, things like for example, um, if we're looking at aggressive cards, uh, a quarter paladin is going to fit in with an aggressive card. Um, Mirror and Crusader, uh, both heroes are aggressive cards for sure. Um, now, I would consider all these to be aggressive. Now, Thrun the Last Troll, I would definitely include in an aggressive deck without remotely thinking about it. However, oh, yeah. I would also include it in every mid-range deck and pretty much every control deck too that can run it. I mean, yeah. so that card is, is what I would consider a universal. Uh, the sword of Feast and Famine. Definitely a universal. You can use it in, you know, in pretty much all strategies. I mean, think of how good that card is in a control deck. I mean, oh, yeah. you, get to, you get to clock them with it and untap your mana to leave your counterspell mana back. I mean, you know, yeah, you see how, like, it's, it's that, very that, um, well built in across all the different deck types. I mean, look how, like, Stoneforge Mystic and Feast and Famine is taking over standard right now. Yes, sir. And it's in a creature, a format, and a deck with eight creatures. And it's, you know, even solid in that format. I mean, granted, you have the toolbox for it, but that shows, like, how universally playable Feast and Famine is. Yeah, like, top control deck in the format, you know, is running it. Yeah, so. that's crazy. But yet, also awesome. Uh, I give that so, a thumbs know, up. Those are some recent examples. Um, you also mentioned earlier when we were talking before the show about uh, the temptation to run too many sweeper-type effects. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, and I think I kind of went on this soapbox uh, on the last episode, so I don't know, get your shot glasses ready. I might go on another one. But it's kind of one of those things where, you know, you don't necessarily need a ton of them. Like, I think a lot of people, you know, we talked about using other formats as kind of a, uh, you know, kind of a a litmus test or, you know, kind of a, a basis of comparison. And the fact that Windmill, like, Wrath's effects, you know, Wrath of God, Winds of Wrath, Kirtar's Wrath, uh, Austere Command... Final Judgment, are all windmill slams, might make somebody include all of those in their cube, especially if, they're, if their cube is more of a dragon kind of cube. Because in those cubes, yeah, they're going to be ridiculously good. And even then, I think there's also kind of a side point in that the speed of your cube also may determine how cards are, are used. And an example that I, I used was with my friend's commons cube. It was a few times after we drafted it, somebody said, yeah, you uh, in that cube, you don't pay... Like, you have cards, like, for example, like Ingot Chewer, which is the uh, four and a red uh, hill giant that, when it comes into play, destroy target artifact, and you can evoke it for a red. And in a slower format, you want to squeeze... You know, if you don't have the aggressive support, you will never... You know, let's say I have a sponge full of water, and you just kind of, you know, just got to give it a quick little squeeze for some to get the water out of it. That's normally what you would do. But if you need to get the thing bone dry and, you know, where you need to, and in a format like a slower format, where you need to squeeze all of a card advantage, you know, where you have a card like Ingot Chewer, you're never going to evoke it because you need to get the two-for-one kind of thing. And it's kind of the same thing where if you have a slower environment, you're always going to try to squeeze out that card advantage, and it affects how uh, those cards play. Yeah, because you want all the, the, mul- the multiple-for-ones that a Wrath is going to give you. 
Precisely. And it's kind of the same uh, reason why you always, for the most part, you always draw first in base set drafts because they're so slow. Or even like sealed. For the, I think sealed for the most part too, but especially in corset drafts where they're so well, right. slow. Yeah, you need to squeeze all the card advantage. And I think with, yeah, with wraths, effects, and things like that, you don't, you don't want your your environment should not be where you know your wraths are just you play every one of them just because they're a wrath like you don't play like winds of wrath terrible Kurtar's wrath terrible final judgment terrible and you don't want your cube to be an environment where you play all those just because the environment is so lopsided kind of things like that and it's the same thing with you know you shouldn't there's a temptation perhaps to run you know infinite X spells you know just like the uh, yeah for the same reason you just want a big throw giant haymakers. Burn yeah, essentially that, yeah, because it's Haymaker. It's like an episode of Dragon Ball. It's, or, yeah, Haymaker, like, psh, you know, just like, oh, here's my punch, here's your punch, whatever. Right. Here's my and, Hadouken. Is yours bigger? Yeah, here's a bigger Hadouken. Okay, sweet. Here's a bigger Hadouken. Nice. Yeah. And, again, that's just not a very not a very good thing, you know, things like that. Yeah, I think that's really it. You seriously do not need Infi X spells. Like, I might link the uh, red swat in, my, uh, in the show notes, but essentially... If you do overload your cube with, you know, these these expensive spells, you're not going to be able to well represent all of the theaters. You're just going to really overrepresent control. And it's also kind of the reason why you also want to have more aggressive cards and control cards is because the the archetype itself really is based on redundancy and consistency. Like, yep. you know, in, like, goblins.deck, you always, you really, you want your early goblins to get there, and you just, you essentially want the same game plan, and even if it's not the same parts, like, maybe, uh, like, in your cube aggro decks, maybe you'll start with goblin guide turn one, and game two you'll start with, uh, elite vanguard, you know, like your boros aggressive deck or something, but you, sure. it, you need the, you need, you need the critical mass of aggressive creatures, and, that unfortunately is kind of hard to really define in and of itself, because, you know, I, I, you know, I, I'm kind of hesitant to really say like you should run, you know, X one drops in your cube because like so you're listening to this three years from now, like, right now I would say like the cube worthy quote unquote black one drops are Fume Spitter, a Sarcomancy, a Carnophage, and Lacerator. Lacerator. Those are the ones I would run, but let's say five, uh, three years from now they decide to give Black Aggro the, the boost. Like, I'm not going to say run X because that's not going to work. It's like in cooking. You're never going to be like, oh, you should always, you know, use X whatever, Y whatever, Z whatever. It's kind of one of those things where you kind of season it to taste. You know? Well, yeah, there, I mean, there are definitely recipes, and that's what we're trying to share with you a little bit right now is kind of the recipe on how to do it, but it's yeah. always a matter of trying it okay, well, that didn't work, it needs more of this. That didn't work, it needs more of this. Oh, okay, that, that was really that was really good that time. Man, that, that we, should, we should stick with that. And, and I feel like uh, we're both at a place where the aggro support is, is pretty strong. We're, we're close. We feel like we both got it pretty close to where we like the taste of our aggro decks in our cube. Uh, give you an idea, I went through my cube and, uh, not including the lands, even though there are definitely lands that are, you know, Maze of Eth, for example, is a control land, um, while Rashada right, is an aggressive land. Um, but not including lands, just taking all the spell cards, um, my deck has 30% aggressive cards. 
Now, granted, yes. it's not only thirty. It's not just like thirty percent cards that can be used in aggro decks. No, obviously, because you have all the universal cards that are included as well. Um, so you know, cards that can be played in a in a uh, in an aggressive deck are probably closer to like seventy five, eighty percent. You know, of of cards in my cube can be used effectively in aggressive decks. But I know for sure that like thirty percent for sure, and you know, that's just what I came up with. Um, you know, and, and you know what? If I find if they print keep printing better aggressive cards as they have been recently, I, I'm more than willing to to keep supporting it until that draft happens where, you know, people who either myself or other people who I trust their opinions are just like, oh, we just can't beat the aggressive decks; they're too good. Which I got to tell you, I don't think that day is ever coming, but. Until that happens, I'm going to continue to push the aggressive archetype with things like, you know, we just going full circle, a quarter paladin, you know, the heroes, all cards like that to keep pushing the envelope for aggressive help. Because let's face it, it needs it. It needs the yeah. most help, I think, for more than anything else in your cube. Yeah, and I think, like, for example, a lot of uh, draft decks, when you think about it, a lot of them are very mid-range in uh in scope. Like, if you draft a random, you know, probably a Scars draft. Scars and Mirrodin are besieged Scars, Scars. That's, for the most part, going to be a mid-range deck. It might lean aggressive, you know, I think, I, I haven't drafted much of Scars block with Mirrodin, but from what I understand, the poison decks have really slowed down. So, but I think, for the most part, uh, cube, you know, most regular draft decks are very uh, mid-range, and you want to be able to put in your uh, support aggressive decks. Right. It's kind of brings very, me to very the the curve deck that you just play, you know, hit your drops every single turn, and you have so much redundancy. You know, redundancy is hard enough to get in in a regular draft as it is, um, but to get enough redundancy to build an aggressive deck, for example, like you know, in Zendikar block, yeah. where you know there was so much redundancy for the aggressive decks that it became the only game in town. You know, you kind of want it somewhere in between. Yeah, you you essentially want to foster a, a balanced and uh, you know kind of a well balanced format. There's I no think way your, your point of uh, the wraths earlier that they're always good in you know in limited formats. I think the reason for that is is that I mean let's go back to our metagame clock. Control always you know control always beats the mid range decks. So wraths are what kind of cards? They're control cards. And what do they do? They beat the mid-range decks. And what kind of decks do we usually have in, in booster drafts? Mid-range decks. There you mm. go. That's why it's all. That's why they're so powerful there. You never really thought of that, but that's that's a really good point. Thanks. I like it. I thought of it myself. And that's that's some that's a that's an example of good card evaluation. Now let's let's go on some examples of bad card evaluation. Ooh, bad card evaluation. Oh my god, Carnifage sucks. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh, once my opponents play a, a four mana creature, oh, I can't attack into it anymore. Oh. Oh yeah, god, I, Wild Dog is so bad. Every time I play it, my opponent just bolts me, and the, or they play like a first striking guy. <laughs> cards are terrible. Help like, me, I, son. What should yeah, I do? I I think like uh, I think that's one of the examples why people tend to not really support aggro is because they you know just evaluate the cards wrong and yeah that's just stuff like those those things that Anthony said are real things that I've heard I'm not making this up 
people have uh, said, you know, OMG, Carnophage sucks to get out because it get outclassed, or you know, Wild Dogs is bad because it uh, switches sides or something. Like, or not, or not to mention any names. But uh, recently on a uh, a forum discussion, uh, I saw, well, uh, Troll Aesthetic is really bad because it just gets outclassed by your opponent's four and five drops. Or Titans or something. It's like, okay. Well, it's like, but you know that four drop and five drop creatures are always bigger than three drop creatures. Well, almost always bigger than three drop creatures, right? You know yeah. that, right? It's a really bad argument, honestly. Like, I think I think a lot I take of it maybe damage from Jackal Pup when it gets blocked. Yeah, I think a lot of it may just be based on fear. It's just like, oh no, I might die from my Jackal Pup. Ah, run for the hills. I don't think honestly people are running for the hills or anything, but I think it's just a lot of fear of the unknown, and you know, it's it's out of their comfort zone. Like most people aren't going to play. You know, most people like no. There's no Chapin. Gushing about how good Carnophage is, for example, you know Patrick Chapin or Flores or whatever isn't going on sure. about how that card is. Michael Flor, Michael J. Flores isn't gushing about how amazing uh, Vampire Lacerator is. But I think you know Goblin Guide I think got adopted pretty quickly because you know there were people, there were higher ups being like, hey, this card's good, and be like, okay, guess also I'll play that it. card's in, also that card's insane. That's why it's got adopted. Well, that too. I think, but I think people might if it wasn't if it didn't have a home. In other formats, I think people would have been too scared to play it or something. Like Elite Vanguard, for example. Perfect example. I think people were like, well, it sucks in M11 draft. Why Why should I play it? Again, that's not really thinking critically. The reason why it sucked in M11 draft is because there was there was not the critical mass of creatures. Like, you had big ground stalls. You had the spiders, you know, the giant spiders and whatever, where it being an early creature didn't really matter. Mm-hmm. You know, that was... You you didn't you never drafted the deck where it could shine kind of thing. sure, and like Absolutely. for example I th- and I think the wild dog thing was another example too where I think somebody said I was you know that guy who had the commons cube I think he do you remember the card Kavu climber sure it was like for for you kids playing along it's a three and double green for a three three cantrip and he was like I'm gonna use that in my commons cube instead of wild dogs and I'm like no that there's there's better things out there and I think like other people were like well. They can just play a 2-3, and it can block it. But again, that's a really bad argument, because does that mean every aggro deck is going to fold to a 3-3, like that 3-3 uh, Ogre Sentry in Rise of the Eldrazi? If that was the case, why isn't everybody boarding that, you know, in aggressive decks, or against are aggressive you, decks? Are, are you asking me? Because I'd like no, to tell rhetor- you. No, rhetorically, rhetorically. Because, <laughs> yeah, you know, a, I, I think, well, I think we want to talk about that, too, is that, you know, the reason why we don't care about that is because it also ignores things like cards we talked about earlier. It ignores the burn spells. Oh, nice, you know, oh, I just played Carnifage, and oh, they just played a 3-3. Oh, really cool. Doomblade, you know, bolt your guy, attack you again. Yeah. Or, oh, I just played a, you know, oh, I just played a 3-3. Oh, really cool. Bone Splitter, equip, uh, would you like to now block, you know, use your four-mana guy to block my one-mana guy? That's yeah. how you, you know, it, it just completely, you know, that kind of limited thinking completely ignores, well, ignores the rest of the cards in your deck, to be honest. Um, just recently, there was a discussion about Tattermunge Maniac. I mean, I run that card every day of the week, you know, in aggressive decks, because it's a two-mana, it's a two-power, one-drop, and you know what? Sometimes, yeah, sometimes it runs right into their blocker, 
but what else are you doing with your aggressive creatures? Are, you know, you're going to play a one draw, you know, you're going to play Maniac on turn one. On turn two, you're going to play maybe two other one drops or maybe another uh, a two drop. And then if they play a guy, are you just going to stop attacking? Well, no, you're not going to stop attacking. You're still going to, you know, pants your guy or giant growth your guy or burn their guy out of the way. But, you know, even if you just have three two-power guys and they have one blocker, let's say they have a three-two blocker or something like that, I'm still attacking with all my guys. Yeah, send still the clowns. To, still Right, you still need to give the business. So, yeah. you know, who cares if they block it? I mean, yeah, because sometimes, you know, it does have a drawback. Sometimes it sucks. Um, but it's, it's all know, about, like, the BCS. Suicide it. But th- there's a reason why those cards have drawbacks. Because if Goblin Guide were just a 2-2 two, two haste for one, it would be unbelievable if, yeah. you know, Isamaru at the time were just a 2-2 and it wasn't legendary for one. Good lord. I mm-hmm. mean, these are, you know, these drawbacks exist on these cards for a reason. So don't look at those drawbacks and, you know, and say, well, that makes the card not good enough. There, the reason why that drawback is there likely is so it's not over the top insane. And I think I think people tend to I think the the concept of of drawbacks I think people tend to overvalue them in general. It's kind of like the whole BCSM and range thing. It's like going like an infomercial for example. And it's like uh, you know, are you frustrated with your pair of scissors? And like you saw, show somebody cutting through paper and then they're like cutting off a finger. Like oh, no, I'm bloody. Oh, I no, they have like the little kid scissors that they gave you in kindergarten that don't cut anything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If you if you live in fear of drawbacks, you're gonna you're gonna use these terrible scissors. That's what your cube decks are gonna be. Terrible scissors. They're gonna be horrible. Your, your, your cube decks are going to be childproof scissors. Precisely. And that's kind of the thing is where evaluating drawbacks is definitely big. Like obviously, you know, again, don't think in black and white. A cursed centaur is still terrible, but it's all about that. Like, and if y'all remember the, uh, I, I definitely remember this episode of the Magic Show a lot because. It was a big part of why I got in the cube, but there's an episode of the magic show called Gleaming the Cube, where essentially Erwin introduced a lot of people to cube drafting, and essentially it was his friends, you know, they were talking about a cube with a bunch of his friends who were cube drafting with him, and there was this kind of, this guy, and it sounds awfully hypocritical of me to call him a nerd, because, God, I'm, I'm podcasting and writing about cube, I like, I have room to talk. I mean, but right, like, I could say here, you know... Hey, that's the pot calling the kettle black, but I think it's more of a uh, takes one to no one type of situation here. Yeah, or maybe both, I don't know. But he had a point saying, like, this guy said something like, you know, people are very hesitant to take the the small creatures like Kurt Ape because the big ones seem much more impressive. Like, nobody, people underestimate the Kurt Ape and, like, play Kurt Ape turn one, Bone Splitter turn two, because, you know, they... You know, you may have cards like Maloku and whatnot that get there in the late game, but they can well, still Well, yeah, because if you ignore mana cost and you just look at the two cards, like, would you rather have a 2-1 that makes you take damage when it's hurt, or would you rather have a 5-5 five, five dragon that you gain 5 life and they lose 5 life when it dies, you know? Precisely, and it's, like, focusing on, you know, the overall card effect. Like, someone might, and I think that's another big example, someone might be like, why do I want to play Carnophage? When I can pay one more mana for a grizzly bear, because Carnophage is a lot more efficient, obviously, that's why. Because grizzly bears cost twice as much. <laughs> Precisely. And I, I think it's a big, dis- like, 
because of the fact that cube isn't really sanctioned, like say if you're running suboptimal cards like that, you're not going to, there's no equivalent of going to an FNM and O2 dropping or something in cube. Like, uh, I don't know, man. We, we make fun of people with bad decks all the time. That's true. And that's kind of the thing is like, people think like, OMG, why do I want to play Jackalpup when I can play a dragon? And look at this dragon's huge. Oh, oh my dragon. god. Get there. Trogdor, Trogdor burning up the, the village and whatever. Yeah, dragon. Yeah, exactly. And I don't know, like, I think it's definitely about playing the cards correctly and things like that. Like, not fearing the drawbacks. Like, there was somebody uh, at Ogres who's a former person, because he pretty much got evicted for being an idiot. But he, he, well, yeah, he he essentially made a racial slur against an employee. Oh, awesome. Yeah, exactly. Nobody misses him, really. But, yeah, he, he made, we had a cube draft. It was one of the first cube night things. And we built, he built a blue-black control deck. And he essentially was like, well, if I lose, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna go. And he built a four creature control deck. One of the creatures was Sarcomancy. Yeah, probably not a good control creature. No. That, that, I mean, and that's the thing. Someone might, might incorrectly build, might look at that and be, well, Sarcomancy sucks because I chump block a mana war and I just take damage. That's using the card wrong. You're you don't want to play this in your mid range or control decks. It's all about the aggro, where your opponent you're not going to care about the life loss, or you have ways to mitigate the life loss, things like that. Right. It's, it's, like, oh man, you know what card really sucks? Sulfuric vortex. Because this one time I had a red a red white control deck, and I put sulfuric vortex in it, and I kept dying to it. Yeah. Oh my god. And oh, I, I mean, vortex again, sucks. I, again, this is an example I'll own up to it, but I remember when I was testing it and, you know, villain responds to Vortex with a V-click and outraces me. And, you know, I was I was doing the whole BCSM thing. I was, or, you know, just mis-evaluating, you know, the worst case scenario. It's like, oh, uh, yeah, I guess that sucks. And then, you know, a friend, the same one who ran the commons cube, he, he wised me up to it. He's like, run Vortex. I'm like, okay. And it was good because I used it in the right decks, you know, things like exactly. that. Exactly. And that's definitely the thing. Like, I think also, it's kind of the same thing with the Wraths, where aggressive cards are going to get better once you start. Like, if you are if you have, you know, a pretty, I'm not going to say a dragon cube, but one where aggro isn't really explicitly supported, you know, maybe those cards, it's, it's a gradual process, really, about, you know, just lowering the mana curves, things like that, things like that, where you your aggro cards may... At first, once you're if you have like an, a really control-heavy cube and you're transitioning, some of those con- uh, aggro cards may not work as well as they maybe should. And it's well, the other not- thing too is what you have to do then is you have to take. You can't just well, I'm going to improve the quality of my aggro cards, guys. What you have to do is you have to pull out those co- those control cards to replace them with the aggressive cards. That's how you make the transition. It's not just a quality thing, but it's a quantity thing as well. Yeah, precisely. Like, uh, one, take out one, those final judgments and put in those Knights of Meadow Grain and a quarter paladins and you know student of warfares and things like that. Precisely. Yeah, and I think like it's a lot of the the really important like easy changes in cube are easy. Like when I made my updates to Beard and Besiege, a lot of them were easy. Like Replace Sword of Vengeance with Sword of Feast and Famine. 
Sure. Obvious, obvious change is obvious. Like, okay, this or this card upgrades to this. That's fine. Right. Whatever. Easy. But I, I think I think when it comes to having a really good cube, you have to make the hard choices. Like you have to cut. Like uh, you know, there's some cards like uh, you know, like the black finishers. Like uh, what's that? Like Massacre Worm. I think is a really good card, but I don't think there's room for it. Like there's only room for so many finishers, and you know, having like say running that would really not represent the color very well. I think one of the best tools I think to use is uh, Dexstats.net. I think. I think that and, sounds right. Yeah, Dexstats.net, and I have my cube updated there. Well, it's up there, but it's not up to date. But for the most part, it calculates stuff like averages and things like that. And I think I think a good barometer. I think there's there's a couple of barometers that I think are useful. I think one is to keep your you know you can use your average costs. I think it should definitely be below something like three six. For this part here, you may have noticed a different sound quality. It's because I'm adding this uh, part here in post. You know, I'm not trying to be like George Lucas or something, trying to, you know, get some AT-AT walkers all up in here. But I'm just trying to want to, you know, kind of went for a point that I really don't think I articulated very well. I kind of had something in mind, and I don't think I really said in the best way. Uh, with the whole 3.6 thing, the main, the main point that I want to make, and I'll go back to the 3.6 thing, is... When you're reducing the uh, average mana cost in your cube to make uh, aggro more viable, you want to do it slowly. You don't want to do it in, like, huge jumps. Like, say you have, you know, I was thinking of, like, cubes with really high mana costs, like 3.7 or something, 3.8 or something. You want to make small little changes at first, you know. It's, like, let's say you're at 3.7 to go to, you know, the 3.6 and then just kind of making small incremental changes, like 3.5, 3.4, 3.3, until you reach an eventual kind of an end game. And the reason why I say to do this is because you know, you want to do it gradually. You don't want to, like, jump off a cliff or anything like that. And it's good to set yourself small goals so that's not as imposing, you know, like, say, oh, you have to reduce your average mana cost by 0.4 by uh, tomorrow. You don't want to do that, and it's you know it's kind of like running a uh, you know just having ne not really worked out to try to run two miles the next day or something. You know it's not going to really work. And you know once you do make these small incremental changes, uh, you know it, it makes the process a lot easier. Now uh, I mentioned an end game, and at least for powered cubes, I would definitely say you know again this is from personal experience. I think a good end game is. Uh, high twos to low threes. You know, for example, maybe something like 2.8 to like a 3.1 or something, or maybe like a maybe like 3.2. Uh, for comparison's sake, my cube when I last computed it, which was about the time of you know Mirrodin besiege, kind of like half, you know, a, a little bit into spoiler season. You know, I was at about 2.826 last I checked, and you know, aggro is definitely viable, but it's not like Zendikar or anything like that, you know, where aggro is the only game in town. Now, it, as I said before, it helps make aggro more viable, but another reason why this method is useful is because it makes you much more critical of the cards in your cube. You know, for example, once you're reducing the average mana cost in your cube, you start to look much more critically for cards that aren't, that aren't you know, as efficient as other cards. Like, for example, you'll be laying out your, you know, you're trying to reduce average mana cost in green. And you know, you're lay you should lay it out by mana cost 
and then kind of look at you know what's you know what's not pulling its weight. Like say you have a you know some five mana green spell or you know, sorcery or whatever, and you're just kind of looking at it and being like, well, is this pulling its weight? Is it good compared to you know the other green? Uh, five drops or the decks that'll go into, like, like that I went into in the SWAT kind of thing. And, you know, it makes you a lot more critical. Before, maybe that five mana spell was just kind of something you kind of always accepted. But once you start doing the, uh, cutting the mana cost down, it makes you a lot more critical. Like, think of the guy, think of Trinket Mage's art. It's like that, where you kind of get, you know, kind of go to the next level. And I think that's really useful. And granted, this method isn't really perfect for talking about aggro viability. Uh, for example, you know, I'll just use an example. Something like the card Arrest. You know, two and a white. And, you know, say you replace that with Condemn, a card that costs just one white mana. Unfortunately, this isn't really an upgrade for Q, or for uh, aggro decks, per se, because Condemn isn't really a card to play in aggro decks. It doesn't fit the strategy very well. It's not really an aggro card at all. It's much more at home in uh, control decks. Whereas uh, something like Arrest is much more universal. You'll play it in aggro decks and control decks kind of thing. So in that case, you haven't really strengthened aggro. But the other, on the other end of the spectrum are, you know, if you add cards like, uh, you know, the big, really big mana cost cards like Emrakul, you know, other Eldrazi like Ulamog, Kozilek, and, you know, like the Blightsteel Colossuses, the uh, Inkwell Leviathans, things like that, where they'll really increase the cost of the cards in your cube. Now, like, say, for example, I were to add Emrakul to my cube, you know, it, it would definitely have a big impact. But does that mean aggro is less playable? Of course not. It just means I'm running an Emrakul. You know, in this podcast, we're always talking about, you know, getting the tools and using them effectively, and, you know, just kind of using the tools that way. And, you know, I think that's kind of... And I think using the, uh, you know, understanding the strengths and weaknesses of this definitely helps to use that effectively. Alright, I think I've gone on long enough. I'm going to return you all to your regular scheduled programming. Like, it's definitely going to be lower, you know, in a in a powered cube, because you have things like Moxon, and if you're running fast mana, stuff like Crypt, uh, Mana Vault, stuff like that. Yeah, they're but just going to lower about, the overall cost. Yeah, you're just definitely going to drop some things. But the thing is, if you're using, because you can, there are ways to change it, like, there's a way on the page to change com- uh, mana costs, like, you can change Spectral Procession to cost three white mana instead of six. Mm-hmm. But if you're doing stuff like this, you need to be honest. And I think that's... Being honest, I think, is definitely one of the most important tools to being a good uh, cube designer. Yeah, being, being honest being with honest. yourself over what things, what's happening. Yeah, like if you're going to include uh, Terastodon and uh, Woodfall Primus as two drops because you can reanimate them, you're not being honest. You're just messing with the numbers you're not accurately representing what your cube is doing. Like, if you're going to say, oh, a Tomb Stalker costs uh, double black. There are times when that happens, yes, but it's more about being honest about what it actually costs. Sure, again, and again, I, it's I, not going to cost seven or eight or whatever the printed mana cost is, but oh it's no. definitely not costing two all the time either. So, yeah, you know, you if I had to... What, what, it, what it actually is most of the time. If I had to, you know, gun to my head, I'd probably say five, but I don't know. That's the reason why I haven't really... Yeah, I would probably that. say... I'd probably say three or four, probably somewhere in the neighborhood of like 3.7, 3.8. Um, yeah. And that's really good. It's like a flying Jews engine. Right. Like, <laughs> good, good, good game. <laughs> yeah, for sure. 
you know, yeah. and I think, like you said, that's that's one way. I think it's a good barometer. I don't, you know, keep in mind, none of this stuff is absolute. If your average cube cost is above 3.6, that means your cube is way too slow. Well, no, that might not necessarily be it. That it might be because, you know, you really, because you run your, all the Eldrazi cards as a sub theme. You know what I mean? So obviously that's going to spike all the mana costs or yeah, like you really cool like to have as up. many tinker targets as possible. So you have Darksteel Colossus and Blightsteel Colossus and Inkwell Leviathan. You know what I mean? There are reasons that, that things like that can be skewed. But then, then again, you know, if you're only paying, if you're only ever tinkering for those 11 mana spells, maybe those 11 mana spells aren't really costing 11 mana. So, yeah. you know, going in and being able to change the mana cost of things, that will give you a, a better representation of, of what's going on. Um, yeah. There's a there's an accounting joke, but I, again, I don't know if I want to torture everybody with it. I mean, I've already gone on long enough, so I, I don't want to hey, make people You should maybe, maybe type it in your blog or something and then, and, you yeah. know, link it to people afterwards. Put it inside a spoiler tag so people don't have to <laughs> burn their eyes looking at it, you know. If you want to look at this terrible joke, click here. But I think right. definitely one of the one of the really important tools is also to keep in terms of being honest is keep keep track of how often aggro is drafted. Like for example, the whole red blue mising into your two mana pinger and uh, the three mana haste guy. You should not consider that like if you're going to say, "Oh, my ag- my is aggro that is fine." Ronan Houndmaster. Yeah. Is that yes? Yeah. Memory. Points. Nice. Woo. Do you remember what the uh, the uh, the two mana three three wall is from wall, the Rise of Eldrazi? Uh, I only drafted I only drafted that format once or twice. That was right around the time when I was moving and not getting oh. a chance to draft very often. So bad question for me. Oh, I think it's Ogre Sentry, but I have no idea. But uh, yeah, Ogre Sentry sounds correct to me. So yeah, that doesn't but make I it. Think, right, but it just sounds correct. Yeah, it sounds right. But I think definitely just keeping being honest about it. You know, if your if your deck has you know if you're running the uh, you know if a deck is like the twelve creature special or not the twelve creatures maybe like the eight creature special with mountains or something like that's not really going to be an aggressive deck but for the most part you know kind yeah, of where you have to after talk to your drafters after the draft and find out and keep track you know keep a little uh, spreadsheet on your smartphone or you know a little ticker or whatever like maybe on a piece of paper in your cube box and just you know use like hash marks and like. Every time a control deck is drafted, you know, put a hash mark under control. Every time uh, an aggro deck is drafted, put a, a hash mark under there. You know, and just keep track and make sure that your aggressive decks are keeping up. Um, yeah, if they're not, then you can use, you know, some of these tools that, that we've been talking about. I think that's the main – that actually reminds me of a major point that for some reason I completely forgot. It's not just that these decks are being drafted, that aggressive decks are being drafted. You want to make sure that these are, A, a viable part of the metagame, and B, that they're actually winning. Like, you know, for example, you don't want your aggressive decks to be the equivalent of, you know, that kid who shows up to the FNM with the bad whatever deck and just kind of shows up with this bad deck that doesn't really do anything. and doesn't, It's just a bunch of cheap creatures, and that's considered aggressive. Yeah, precisely. Like, you, you want to keep tra- – like – you want to make sure that your metagame is balanced, not in terms of just a representation, but what's actually winning. What's going 3-0? You want to make sure that your direct aggressive decks aren't just the uh, the loser's bracket deck. Like, there was some uh, PTQ that I remember going to, and just seeing the top tier being essentially just the same deck. It's like, oh, this is boring. And, like, the losing decks just being, like, a mishmash of junk. 
And again, you don't want your cube to be like that. You want it to be, you know, holistic. You want it to be well balanced. You want your aggressive strategies to be a major part in the metagame, not just some guy once drafted it and therefore it's fine. Because yeah. that isn't. Yeah, make and sure, you like, want... you know, like we talked about last week, make sure that clock has all the positions. Make sure Precisely. all those kinds of are being drafted. And well, I let's, uh, that... I think it just about covers it. Obviously, if you guys have, you know, if you guys have any more questions about what's going on, and we may very well revisit this topic in the future for, uh, if you guys are interested in more specific numbers type things. But, uh, if you guys, you know, have any additional questions about how it can work, um, there's a billion ways to con, to contact the two of us. Uh, why don't you, why don't you tell us a little bit about those? All right. Uh, first, though, I'll, I'll gratuitously plug uh, Ogre's Games, a really great magic store. Uh, I told them if the, the Cube Night thing worked that I would plug them. So, yeah, they have a Cube. It's currently 360 cards, but I'm probably going to update it to be a uh, exact copy of mine. So if you live in the St. Louis area, uh, Google it. I think it's ogresgames.net. Go there. Great store. But also, aside, blo- uh, plugging aside, uh, I have my blog at uh, idratherbecubing.wordpress.com and uh, you know, my Twitter account, Usman the Rad, U-S-M-A-N-T-H-E-R-A-D. And uh, Anthony, you're, you're starting to slowly catch yep. on to the Twitter. Yeah, Anthony42, A-N-T-K-N-E-E-4-2 on Twitter. Also, that's that account, Anthony42, is pretty much me everywhere. If, God forbid, you see me on Moto, that's me, all the email addresses, ugh, you name it, Anthony42, Xbox Live is usually me. And we also have a, a show email as well, which is mtgthethirdpower at gmail.com as well. So you guys can get a hold of us there. Um, we both have access to that email, so we do check in. We'd love to hear from you. Obviously, there's the forum in uh, MTGcast for the show. There's the, uh, the Cube Forum over on MTG Salvation. By all means, guys. Hit us up. Let us know how we're doing. If you have any additional questions, how we can help, you know, what we're wrong. If you really, really want to hear that accounting joke, you know. <laughs> that's true. If, if you're really feeling masochistic, I guess. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Like, definitely we appreciate the feedback. Especially, I think this is an episode that at least I'm really passionate about, like, aggro and cube. I... You know, like Cranny said, the memo is out, but I really don't think it is. And I think this is, you know, really an important topic. And I, I just want to make sure, like, in terms of all, all of y'all who are listening, just to make sure that, you know, that you're all learning, that you'll at least walk away from this with some lessons. Like, you know, I want to learn how to support aggro on my cube. This is how. Yeah, hopefully this guy, this gave you guys some, some direction on how to go ahead and do that. And obviously, you know, even if you have specific card questions, Go ahead and, you know, hit us up. We'll be we'll be happy to tell you all about it, especially Usman. I'm sure he can find a soapbox just for you guys. <laughs> Take a shot, get the shot glass ready. Get them ready. All right, all right. We're gonna go and uh, we're gonna go and wrap this up. Of course, there's one final thing. All right, man. Rock over London. Rock on Chicago. Mirden, time to arm yourself. See, See next you next week. week. Later. Five, four, three, two. Banana phone. <laughs> God damn yes. Got him. <laughs> Got him. Uh, if there's bloopers, that's going on there. <laughs>